We are uh, finishing our three-week series on Titus today. Uh, I told you it was quick because uh, the book is short, so that's one of the reasons. And then next week, I really want to encourage you to come back. That's not any different normally than every other week, but next week we are going to have, oh uh, man, I don't even know what you'd call it, a Vision Sunday, a celebration of where we've been, where we're going, and what it's going to look like and how we can all be a part of it. This isn't just me. It's all of us together, so it's not a clip show. I don't want you to think that. It is very much a, a push forward. Where is this church going? How are we going to get there, and what is it going to look like? So come on out. You're going to do it. I checked. Uh, I don't think there's any football games during this first service, so you should be fine. And then uh, in February, because I know a lot of you like to read ahead and, and read through the books that we're going to preach through next, in February, we're going to start a series in the book of Judges, and uh, quite honestly, I've been waiting 10 years to preach through the book of Judges. I don't think I'm ready yet, but uh, three more weeks, I'll be ready. Three more weeks, I'll be ready. So, but that's not where we are today. Uh, we're in our last week of Titus, and our, our series called Check Yourself. I hope that you have been checking yourself. I checked myself this morning, and I clearly need a haircut so I apologize that you have to look at that, but don't worry, I got one Friday. And, uh, but here's what I know. If I'm wearing my gospel clothes, remember we, we talked about that? If I'm wearing my gospel clothes, which means I'm reflecting godliness everywhere I go by, by giving the right weight and beauty to God, the right thinking, all of those things, then that should be checking up on my vertical relationship with God, and it should be improving your horizontal relationship with other people. I hope that that has been what it's looked like for you today. But today's, the portion of today's letter, uh, it really shouldn't be an issue if you've been checking yourself regularly for the last, I don't know, three weeks. If you haven't been, then it might be a little much for you, quite honestly. You might have to start checking yourself today. So I want to do a little rethink with you. I want you to just think of the answer to this. I don't think it'll be that hard. Uh, I want you to, to think of, or maybe some of you imagine, I don't know, maybe you're just super holy, I, I, I don't get it, I don't know. Anyway, is there a group in your life that you don't like? That's why I said it wasn't hard. A group in your life that you don't like. Maybe they're against something that you're for. That couldn't be true, right? Or, or, or that you just don't like them. Maybe it goes a little deeper than liking, maybe you have a little anger towards a group. Don't worry, guys. I'm not going to start naming groups that you could have anger towards. But maybe, just maybe, you have an anger towards the culture that is around you. Or you don't like the way Christians are being persecuted around the world and, and even here in America, the good old USA. How about this? Maybe when you see how a believer, a Jesus follower, a Christian someone who's saved, you, you see how they're portrayed on Netflix or a movie, and you just don't like it. You say, that's, that's not me. Have you ever noticed how we're portrayed? I don't know why we're surprised at that. You know, like, oh, they're judgmental, they're stupid, they're mean, all those sorts of things. And, and you're like, that person just doesn't get me. They don't understand. So you kind of write them off a little bit. How about this? You're, you're a little on edge as morality gets redefined. Anybody? Okay, I finally hit one that everybody's like, uh-huh, yeah, now I'm getting mad. <laughs> Serenity now. Theology 
theology maybe. You're like, yeah, why do we got to rewrite theology, doctrine? The hot, the hot water getting hotter, isn't it? Oh, how about this? To my Jesus followers out there, do you ever just quietly think this to yourself? I'm going to be very quiet because this is probably how it happens sometimes. You know, judgment's coming. They'll get theirs. All right, I'm going to look down. Show of hands. Who's thought that? I'm looking with one eye. <laughs> They'll get theirs. They're all going to get it. You ever say that? They're all going to get it. When dad gets home, uh-huh, when the trumpet blasts, you're going to get it. Okay, here's what I titled today's sermon. You ready? All the alls. You're all going to get it. Oh, you got it coming. Uh-huh. How are we supposed to treat the alls in our life? When we think about those groups, or maybe none of those hit for you, it doesn't matter. But when we think about that group of people or that segment of culture or those pundits, those talkers, you know, oh, man, they're going to get it. How are we supposed to treat the alls in our life? I'm about to ruin some of your lives. You ready? Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. No way it says that. To be obedient. To be ready for every good work. To speak evil. Yeah, of no one. Aw. <laughs> to avoid quarreling. What's another word for quarreling? Arguing, being jerk, that's right. To be gentle. And here's where you're going to see where I'm going. To show perfect courtesy toward, let me get close. Ah. And it says it on both of them. Read it with me. All people. Now, Paul wrote this letter, and I got to tell you, I don't like the way he ends it. I wish it wasn't in there. Come on, that's how you're going to treat us? We've been good. What do you think the word in the passage all means? Does it? I looked it up. It means all. He's showing us that you can disagree without dishonoring. In fact, he tells me we have to. Every person you meet, look around, just this room. Every person in this room was created by God. They're in all. That person that popped in your head or that group of people that popped in your head, they're in all. And it says, courtesy toward all people. A great example of this, maybe just because it's on my mind, because it was on Monday with uh, Martin Luther King Day. And, you know, he had a great way of disagreeing with people without dishonoring. I think in the history of America, he might be number one at that. He, he had a very every right, I believe, to be angry. Yet he disagreed without dishonoring. Uh, he, he told his people, be gentle, be courteous. Like, what? You kidding? Yep. To be both submissive towards government and subversive at the same time. To disagree without honoring. So, I, I'll just tell you this. I will admit, this is getting harder and harder for me. Anybody with me in that boat? This is getting harder and harder for me. Because there's a lot of times where I think we've taken it too far. We're way over my comfort line. But the Bible is God's word. And it says to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward 
So when you check yourself, is that what you see? Why would I want to do that, Pastor? Why would I want to behave like that? Is it just good enough to say, because the Bible says so? It all comes down to these next few words, because Paul doesn't just throw that out there and say, figure it out, you know, that'd be kind of mean. Like, how does it work? So we, we say, okay, how are we supposed to treat the alls in our life? Well, in order for me to treat them like that, I got to start thinking differently. It's one of the reasons why we uh, chose Romans 12, 1 and 2 as one of the verses we're going to pray through every day this month. You should be praying through it every day if you're not already. How am I supposed to think about the alls in my life? Maybe I'm not ready to treat them with perfect courtesy, right? Just sort of courtesy. But how am I supposed to treat them in my life? This is serious, right? Because what you're about to see in verses 3 and following is the clearest, most concise explanation of the gospel that you can hardly ever find. Like, it is just right there. And I want to go through it with you. How do I think? We're talking about thinking. How am I supposed to think about all my alls? All those people. How am I supposed to think about them? Okay, let's start out in verse 3. You ready? Verse 3. Four. Stop. We're going to go slow. Four. What do you think four means, right? Four. Or he's saying because. You're supposed to do those things, which I'm going to repeat a bunch here in a minute. Courtesy. Speak no evil. No quarreling. Why? Because of the things that Paul's about to write. Because of the truth. Because of the theology. Because of the doctrine that you're about to hear. So when you see the word for in the Bible, your ears, if they're not already totally perked, should be perking. Okay, you ready? For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. Woo! This is a description of what we once were, and it turns out we're a lot like all those alls. You want to double-click a few of these, find out what they mean? They're fun. Uh, foolish. You ever been foolish? Show of hands if you've ever been foolish. All right, yeah, a bunch of fools in the room. Feels good, feels good. Me too. I didn't raise my, I'll raise two and a foot, you know? Like, a Greek speaker might say you were ignorant. You know, I looked up this word. It's phenomenal. It says, you were warped. And that doesn't mean you traveled through space real fast. You know what I mean? It's like, you were warped. You're like, uh, I don't know, you ever washed the wrong thing in, the, in the, uh, the dishwasher? The lid got a little too close to that little hot thing at the bottom that melts everything you love. And then you pulled it out and you're like, huh, huh, that lid won't go on there anymore. Why? Because it's what? Warped. It's warped. In the South, we say it's whopper-jawed, but that was not one of the words that described this in the Greek, I got to tell you. It's misshaped. It used to fit, now it doesn't fit. Listen, guess what, Jesus follower? There was a time in your life where your thinking was warped. What else does it say? Disobedient. Man, he's nice to us, isn't he? You're foolish and you're disobedient once. We had warped thinking and we disobeyed. Of course we did. We were warped. What else does it say? We were led astray. Oh, anybody in here ever been led astray? I don't mean like conned, you know. I don't mean like scammed out of $100,000, though that is being led astray. I just mean like your, your pre-Jesus thinking, man, I got led astray a lot. Who knows for how long? Maybe some of you came to Christ in your 40s. You were led astray for 40 years. 
Maybe some of you are young. That's not bad, but you're still led astray. Some of the times, dare I say, for being super honest, we knew it was happening. But because we're warped and disobedient, we just went along with it. Anybody ever be led astray and you know you're being led astray, but you just kind of go along with it? Sometimes people say this, oh, I was mixed up in the wrong crowd. You ever say that phrase? I had a come to Jesus thought. You ready? This is going to really check some of you. Uh, I, I figured out this later in life. The reason I hung out with the wrong crowd back in the day, you ready? I liked it. They were fun. I liked the wrong crowd better than I liked the right crowd. And then once I figured out, I was the wrong crowd. I was the one leading people to stray. I was the one doing the peer pressure. I sat in a youth group one night as a kid. I thought it was pretty perfect. And they were talking about all the ways to be led away by like peer pressure. And I got there and I was sitting there and I was thinking like, I don't ever get led away by manipulative peer pressure talk. And then I had this moment where I thought, I'm the one leading other people away. I'm the one putting the peer pressure on them. Sorry, mom and dad, I know you watch these, but uh, it's like, I was the wrong crowd. This is the type of thinking that we're up against. This is warped thinking. It's misshapen, doesn't fit, doesn't make any sense. These are the alls in your life. And he's saying, you were once one of those alls. This is why, man, I, I press this so hard on this room and another room that comes in an hour and a half from now. I will say, man, if you have a 13 to 18-year-old in your house right now, their thinking is warped. They don't know left from right. They think they do. They don't know the right crowd from the wrong crowd. They think they do. If you're a mom or dad of a 13 or 18-year-old, this is when they need you the most. To show them. To help them. All right, what else does it say? Uh, whew, you're slaves to various passions and pleasures. Most hearts don't stay in neutral. One of the guys I read said this, think of it like drowning, which I don't really want to think about, but this guy makes a great point. Think of it like drowning. You don't die from holding your breath. You die from breathing in water. Now, here, this is great. When you are not breathing in air, you have to breathe in something else. Same with a spiritual breath. When you are not breathing in, everybody do a big breath. When you're not breathing in the glory of God, you will find something else to breathe in. You know what one of the biggest lies is that all the alls are believing in your life right now? You ready? That if I reject God's laws, it will lead to freedom. Now, those of you that are sanctified, glorified, justified, you, you know, oh, that's not true. Aren't you glad you don't fall for that anymore? Mm, yeah, right. They take in a big, deep breath of that right there. And when we reject God, guess what? We're saying yes to something else. And that something else will eventually enslave you. I told a group of teenagers uh, at a chapel I was speaking at the other day about, you know, your, your past sin and, and how you know, when, you, when God redeems you, you don't have the flavor. You don't, you don't want the sin anymore. But at one time, you really liked it. You really liked your sin. It felt good. Like, sin's fun, right? You guys know that, right? If, if sin's not fun, then I, I think you're doing it wrong, honestly, because it, it is. That's, that's why it's so tempting. Like, if it didn't feel good, you wouldn't want to do it. Okay, let's, let me oversimplify. 
Donuts taste good. Correct? If they didn't taste good, you wouldn't want to eat it. But if you eat too many donuts, it hurts you. Sin tastes good at first. You think you like it. You think this is going to be great for me. This is going to be awesome for me. And then guess what? Before you know it, it owns you. You're enslaved to it. And the biggest lie we often believe is that God's laws lead to bondage because they keep me all pent up. No. He goes on to say this, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That seems a little ironic to me. The more I idolize something, the more I love something else over God, the more likely I will end up hating it. Doesn't that seem interesting? It's like you, it, Paul's just saying, all your alls that you're supposed to be perfectly courtesy, it, you were once like that. Do you see it in others? Do you see other people putting the weight on things that they shouldn't be putting it on? He's saying, you, you used to do that. You used to do that. The old you did that. And I have found with believers, no matter how long they've been a believer, this is one of those things that is constantly fighting to get a seat back at the table. It's a sneaky way. It's sneaky. The thing I love, right? What, what do you idolize? What, it's like Paul is saying, whatever you idolize, whatever you worship, whatever you put weight on, eventually you will demonize that thing. It will overcome you. I have some examples. You, you wanted money or success. You thought about it a lot. You didn't get it, and now you hate others that get it. You hate the thing you loved. Uh, you wanted a perfect family. Anybody want a perfect family? I want a perfect family. Anybody have a perfect family? <laughs> So now you hate when you see a perfect family or a perceived perfect. You know, they're all faking it, right? Um, you wanted your kids to be perfect. So you held on really tight. I'll have the best t-ball player ever. He'll be on all the travel teams. Uh-huh. And then guess what? They don't like baseball. They ruined it. They ruined my second childhood. You will eventually demonize what you idolize and everything it's, it's like Gollum, you know, you, that, little, that little ring. I'm not going to do the voice. That little ring, you know, my precious. It eventually kills them. It overcomes them. The alls in your life, that, that is how they are living right now. How are we to treat them? With, with perfect courtesy. Why? Because I was once just like that. How are we supposed to think about them? How about this? Because I don't want them to stay that way. I don't want my, my brother, if he's that way, or my uncle is that way, or a kid I know. I don't want him to stay that way. How are the alls? How can they transform their life? Quite honestly, this would be a terrible chapter in the Bible if it didn't go further than this. If it was just, you know, you guys used to be pretty crummy too, so treat them nice. That, that's not a good reason. It says this in verse 4, but, stop. <laughs> Listen, when you see a 4, your ears should pick up. When you see a but, it's like, ooh, good news is coming. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, read this part with me, he saved us. He saved us. Read it again. He saved us. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Guess who the good guy is in the story? It's Jesus. It's God. I didn't play a good game, and then God came down and said, Mark, you kicked the winning field goal. Great job. You're on the team. That's not how it happened. 
He did everything. He did it all. You, hey, let's look at the game tape. Let's see. All right. My part, you ready? What was my part in the game? All the sinning. That was my part. That's the role I played. I was good at it. I play it well. Really great. His part, all the saving. Really? Yes. That's the only two parts. Verse 3 describes me. Verse 4 and 5 describe him. That is how the all's in your life. This is the only way they will be transformed. You may say, oh, I don't know. What's my part? Do we, oh, how about this? We do our best and hope for the rest. No. From the beginning, he has done all the saving. He's the hero. He did it. It says, it goes on, not because of works done by us. Oh, I told you this is, the clear, this is one of the clearest examples of the gospel in the Bible. We just often don't read it because it's in an obscure letter way towards the end that's hard to find. Why did he do that? Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. It is not the goodness and love in my heart that led to my salvation. Everybody say why. Because I'm verse 3. That's why. Why isn't the goodness and love in your heart that led God to say, man, you're a good, you're a good person? Because of verse 3. I didn't do something better than all the other alls. I didn't work the, the gospel puzzle. I finished first. No, it's all God, all Jesus, all Holy Spirit. It's not that marks a standout. We need to fast track him. The double travel ball. It says, how? By the washing of regeneration. All right, roll this back. Look at this. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, and here's the how, by the washing of regeneration. That's trippy. You're about to go there with me. By the washing of regeneration. Washing. What, what, do, you, what do you do? Why would you wash something? Because it's dirty. Why would I need to be washed? Because you're verse 3. That's why. Regeneration. Listen, you got any gamers in here? Anybody that spends more than 15 hours a day with something? What's your name? Uh, my friends. Uh, yeah, no, no. Okay, that's what I see a lot. <laughs> Everybody in here that's got a kid's like, yeah, I know that look. You ever have a respawn point when you die in your games? Come on, help me out. A respawn. What, what does a respawn point do? It gives, brings you back to life, doesn't it? You died, now you got to go respawn. Can I just say, old guy, side note, we didn't have those growing up. When you died, you were dead, all right? It's much more biblical the way we did it. Like, you had to start over unless you had a cheat code. Respawn. I die, I come back to life. Now, that is how, believe it or not, in this era, that's how they would have thought of regeneration. A Greek philosopher would have said, yes, Jesus responds us. We die, we come back to life. But Paul is actually going out of his way to say, that isn't what Jesus is doing. He's actually doing something much better by the washing of regeneration. Regeneration is a thing that, this is the part that gets a little, whoa, Okay, regeneration is a thing that has already happened. 
Regeneration happens once at the resurrection of Jesus. Stay with me. And he puts that power into you when you become a believer. You actually begin immediately to regenerate all of your verse 3. And it's a constant process. So it isn't just, I'm dead, oh, I got a new me. No, 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 no. It is a process that will continue forever. The power of God is going to exercise that. Like The power of God that he is going to exercise at the end of time to heal everything, the whole world. You maybe have read that at the, at the last book of the Bible. Every tear, every, all those things. That power is in you right now. And it is constantly regenerating your thinking, your, your, the way you walk, the way you drift, all of those things. It is constantly doing that. I told you, it's a little trippy. The entire power of God to regenerate my lostness is in me right now. And as I live my life, I become more and more and more like him. So never underestimate what God does in your life the second you become a believer because you become a new creation that is growing in Christ. The power of God regenerates you, and it starts immediately. Now, here's what I would ask. How? How does it work? Here's how it works. The renewal of the Holy Spirit. When, when you become a believer, you are instantly regenerated. The verse 3 you is gone. Now you have the Holy Spirit that is living in you. And he's showing you what is right, what is wrong. He is regenerating your dead, dirty thoughts. He gave you a new heart. He didn't just clean up your old heart. He gave you a new heart. Remember verse 211 from, from the CIS book is that we are trained. It means we have knowledge imparted to us, shown to us. Who's doing the showing? Sometimes we show each other, but mostly it's the Holy Spirit that is showing us. And at the second of salvation, you receive the Holy Spirit and the work to retrain begins. Again, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be, you have it memorized, transformed by what? The renewal of my mind. How? By testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He did it all. Verse 6, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In Jesus, you get it all. You get it all. All the promises, all the mercy, all the grace. You get it all. So, back to our alls. Remember the group we hate? All right. How are we supposed to treat those alls? It says, speak no evil of them, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy. Toward how many people? Uh-huh. How to think about them. Hey, as, as hard as it may be to believe, we ourselves were once foolish. We were warped. We were disobedient. We were led astray. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures. And how will they ever be transformed the same way you and I were? By allowing God to do the transforming. And allowing God to do the judging. So what am I supposed to do with all this? There's two things, two things. One, and I'm, I'm, I'm intentionally skipping verse eight. I'll come back to that. One, if you're a believer, if you're a Jesus follower, hear me, hear me straight here. There's one good path forward. Paul lays it out for us. There's one good path forward. 
Verse 9, avoid, excuse me, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable, worthless. I think a lot of times we do those things and it's such a distraction to what God is really doing in the kingdom that we get way off path. This is to my Jesus follower, friends. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Finally! Knowing that such a person is warped. It's the same word. And sinful. He is self-condemned. Some of you right now are like, I knew it. Get them all back. Judgments are coming. Not so fast. We love to basically ignore most of that passage and go right to that one, don't we? No, we don't cherry pick in the Bible. There's a lot of words in there, man. It can't be you know, all of them all the time. You can. It says, we have all these alls in our life, right? Do, do, do you have any alls in your life that like to stir up division? Is Paul saying we're just supposed to cancel those people? Is that what he's saying? I think it's a smaller percentage than you might think that we apply that second part to. But there are times when we must fight. There are times when verse 1-9 comes back into play from Titus 1, right? He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those that contradict it. So we are to give what is right. But we are to do that in light of chapter 3. How can I disagree without being so dishonorable that I destroy my argument? Have you ever done that? Have you ever said something so incredibly great and so incredibly true, but you said it so stupidly that no one heard you? Yeah, most of the things I say are that. It says, do do I really, I have to ask myself this, do I really want to spend my life quarreling and criticizing and arguing? But the Bible also says to stand firm. So I want to I want to take a stand. I must. I must take a stand. But how I do it matters. I, I don't think I'm good. Here's what I've learned. I am not good at taking a stand on 100 comments on Facebook with my second cousin's brother-in-law that I've never met. I'm terrible at that. When, when every line starts with the word boss or chief or I hear you, I'm like, okay, we've lost. We've lost. This is going nowhere. So let's be careful because this this all works in unison. Do do we really think this is how Paul would end this, right? Like how quickly we forget how the chapter begins where it says, remind them. Here's what he's saying. Titus, remind them, us, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. That's your gospel clothes that you wear every single day. And if you were showing someone how to live in godliness, that's what it would look like. When I check myself, that's what it should look like. Because what I'm doing is I'm wearing that, those clothes in a world that is warped and is led astray. They don't even know they're being led astray. Or they're hanging out with the wrong crowd. I would say if we were to boil it down in light of verse 3 and verse 4, 
I have to stay humble. In other words, God saved me. I didn't save myself. Be gentle. Of course they don't understand you. How could they understand you? Have compassion. For who? For all. All the alls. The people that were just like you. God can change your heart. In fact, he must. In order for you to be able to take this best path through. I encourage you to read Paul's ending there later. He named some people. But let's look at verse 8. Because if you're not a believer, there's only one good path forward. You ready? The saying is trustworthy. And I want to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Guess what? If you're not a Jesus follower or believer, then, then you are under a condemnation for your sin. You may not know it because you're warped. And I'm not making fun of you. I was warped once. I didn't know it. And then someone told me. And I don't know if a light bulb went off or if I just had a realization. I I know now because I know that the Holy Spirit was convicting me and showing me. But I didn't know that in that moment, so I don't expect you to either. But I realized where my path was going. I realized that I was being led astray and where it was taking me. That I was under condemnation for my sin. You might be one of the alls here, and... And we've all been there before, but the great news is that Jesus came for you. He came for you. He, he lived verse 4 perfectly. He had some alls. And the sin that has left you guilty, there's only one way to pay that debt. And that's through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And when you believe that and receive that into your life, you instantly are regenerated. You begin thinking differently because the Holy Spirit lives in you. So you don't need a respawn and then you just keep going as normal until you die again and then a respawn and then you die again and then a respawn. That's a terrible way to live your life. God isn't looking to make you mostly good. He's looking to redeem you, to perfect you. And you can actually do that right now. Why don't we close our eyes? We're going to pray. I want to tell you, if you're here, you're not a believer, man, I'm so glad you're here. Every week, people come to Jesus, they meet him. We baptize people so often, I feel like I could say every week. And the Bible says that if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive. In fact, he sent his son, Jesus, because we were all living verse 3. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross be raised again if anybody believes in him they can become a new creation so right now where you are or maybe you're watching at home or on a phone somewhere who knows I would ask you you can you can enter into regeneration by praying to Jesus right now here's what you could say you say dear Jesus I know I'm a sinner I believe that you came in humility for me. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the grave for me. Come into my life. 
be my Savior, be my Lord. This day forward, I will follow. In Son, Jesus' name, amen.